laugh at this next part. In a world of political correctness and cancel culture, two comedians have risen up to prove that with the right angle, anything can be funny. This is You Can't Laugh at That. Who writes these? Who huh? should have this person locked up and looked at? Live from Golden Ox Studios in Cleveland, Ohio, it's Steve Mers and David Horning on this week's episode. The way that my brain works now is almost like when I fail, it feels like a success because I'm able to like talk about it on stage. So it's like I've conditioned my brain to almost accept failure as success and success is like, oh no, I'm going to fail soon. It's like with a relationship, if a relationship ends and it's your fault, it's kind of like funnier than if it's the other person's fault where you're just like almost they're sad for you. Steve, kick it off. Hi. And that's how we open our show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just fucking with you guys. Hi. <laughs> All right. How do you want to start? I don't like, and a one, and a two, and a one, two, three. Hello, everybody. Welcome to You Can't Laugh at That, a podcast where me and David Horning really tear the seams off of the veneer of respectability and the facade of good manners. I like and that. Us. <laughs> Is our is our is our our host our guest uh, Tim Wolf, very funny comedian out of Youngstown. Uh, how are you feeling, David? I'm I'm feeling good. I'm feeling I'm feeling good. talkative. I want to talk. I want to do a lot of talking. That's my plan, Tim. How much talking do you want to do today? Like how many like words? Well, I want to do at least three hundred words. Okay. Okay. And I'm already at like thirty right now. Right. Okay. Wow. Words. Words fill up fast. Characters on Twitter. It's like uh, yeah. that's the one downside of. Once Twitter. I get to three hundred, I'm stopping. I won't. There's no more words. I'm just gonna <laughs> stop at three hundred, and then that'll be it. Does that include the clip that we're gonna use of you? Or yes. Okay. If it goes over three hundred, I'm gonna be dead silent when it comes back to me live. First of all, I want to introduce uh, you as a as a comic. Tim Wolf and I have worked together on a few different shows. Very funny comedian. We're we're blessed to have him back in Ohio. Although I don't know if you would say the same. Uh, tell us a little bit about you and your comedy journey. Uh, well, I've been doing it for like eight years, and started in Warren, and moved to Chicago a couple years ago. Not really for comedy. I just I was just like, well, Chicago is, sounds better than Warren, Ohio. So I moved there and I did comedy a little bit there, but then I moved back and uh, now I'm, I'm here again. So it's been, it's been, uh, it's been not fun, but it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all right. I, uh, I like Chicago as a city and I liked uh, some of the, like the comedians that I met, but I just, there's so many comics there that I felt overwhelmed. Mm. So then when I came back here and there's like, five comics in Youngstown. I was like, this is much nicer because I can, I can do more than like four minutes a month. And, uh, so I've kind of just been enjoying the stage time I've been getting around here, but I, eventually if I take it seriously, I got to go somewhere else. So that's right. kind of where I'm at now. Have you been getting the stage time now, now that places are open back up? Yeah. Like, uh, Dave Robich who owns funny farm in Youngstown puts me up pretty much whenever I want. So, if I want to do like 
15 minutes on a weekend. Well, you know, obviously now with everything's going on, you can't, but like I have, I probably did had more stage time in like a month back in Youngstown than I did the entire year I was in Chicago just because, you know, you could just do more time here because people are like, Oh, just stand up there and talk. We're just going to do something. Yeah. So they, they don't care how long you're up there. So I just kind of would go for 30 minutes at a time. And then, yeah, it was, it's fun to actually get to like feature instead of doing like four minute open mics, but it's not like uh, I'm not progressing really, but I guess in terms of stage time, you know, you, I am progressing because I'm doing it more, but I don't know. I think LA or New York is probably gonna have to be where I end up eventually if I take comedy seriously, but I really just want to be, I'd like to get a writing job somewhere. I don't even really want to do stand up as a career. I'd rather just write for movies or TV or something. Okay. I all these scripts I'm working on. I've been writing a script for 15 years. So I'm sure that's it's going it's really fine. well. It's actually worse than it was 15 years ago. So I don't know how that happened. <laughs> but Too many rewrites. To be better. Yeah. Are you, uh, uh, is it a screenplay? Yeah, it's a movie. Oh, okay. Do you want to disclose any information on that? or Dalton, made, right? No, that's done. I oh. optioned. Oh, okay. I optioned that. I optioned that script. I mean, it's not done. I'm sure someone smarter could make a better script, but I optioned it nice. for like a year. Like the, I optioned to a producer in Hollywood who gave me a check to like option it for the year, but then it expired the option. He had a chance to re up, but he just like ghosted me after like six months. Mm. So his, his wife was probably just like, what the hell are you buying this script for? Like flipping through it. But uh, <laughs> she's like, you fucking stupid. But I don't, I, so I, I optioned it, but I, now I read the script and I don't even like it which tends to happen. I write something and then I really like yeah. it at first. And then after I'm after like a couple months go by, I'm just like, this is garbage. Yeah. I don't but like I anything. Don't I this do. is good. Yeah. I feel it. But no, the one I've been writing is a uh, called Kokomo. It's based on a beach boys song. And, uh, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, it's like a dark, it's like a dark comedy slash like thriller. It's like a guy that gets poisoned by his wife. And he ends up in this like purgatory psychiatrist's office where he has to figure out why his wife killed him. And the song that they like is Kokomo by the Beach Boys. That's like when they first met. So as he's dying, that's playing the whole time. So imagine <laughs> just dying from poison while that song's playing in the background. And that's like the whole movie. It's Double like flashbacks, poison. flashbacks of the relationships while he's dying. And uh, it cuts back and forth between like fantasy sequences and like reality. So you never really know which is which. It's, kind of, it's, it's like a cool script, but it's taken me 15 years to get it right. But I, it's actually kind of a semi-autobiography now. I mean, I've never been poisoned to death, but it, uh, but it's like about a failing relationship. And I wrote it before I'd ever been in a failing relationship. And now that I've been in several, I'm like, shit, I have a lot of material now for the script. So it's yeah. actually kind of better, but it's just, I'm still not a very good writer, but it's fine. It's 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 coming along all right. Yeah, you've stuck with it. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> that's funny that you say that. Uh, that was actually so. I was, I've kind of been working on a bit centered around like what song is playing when you die, and uh, Kokomo was one that I decided like I decided against. Um, but <laughs> like, like the lion sleeps tonight. Like uh, that would be good. And then I just decided on like staying alive because how funny would it be if you died? Like, <laughs> Oh shit. And that song's on repeat and they find your body and it's like, well, that's ironic. Um, yeah, I haven't worked a bit out, but 
I think that's just a funny idea that maybe it'll be something and maybe it won't. Um, speaking of funny ideas, uh, the bit that um, we talked about um, briefly over Facebook Messenger was one that I heard for the first time. It was of the six courses of the comedy show. And uh, it's just such a well-structured bit. And it's essentially about you know, you get fired from a job, which is something that a lot of people uh, don't want to laugh about or like get very defensive about. Nobody likes yeah. to get fired for the most part. Um, and God, the way that you you frame this joke, it's just five minutes. And uh, I mean, if you want to introduce the clip and then we can dive into that topic, because it's something that we can all relate to uh, on some level, whether we've quit a job, known people who've gotten fired or gotten fired ourselves. Yeah, well... The way that my brain works now is almost like when I fail, it feels like a success because I'm able to like talk about it on stage. So it's like I've conditioned my brain almost accept failure as success and success is like, oh no, I'm going <laughs> to fail soon. So it's just like what happened was I moved to Chicago. I had this job lined up when I got there and it was a sandwich shop, which I'd never worked at before, but I was like, I'll probably catch on. And I didn't catch on at all. I was just like really bad at making sandwiches. And uh, they actually kept me on for way longer than they had to. I worked there for like three or four months. I probably should have been fired after like two weeks because it was like a, it was like a small business. They were just starting up. And I think you could probably get away with that shit at Subway, like being kind of shitty for a little bit. But if it's a new business, I didn't want to like ruin this guy's entire livelihood by just not putting like cheese on the sandwich. Right. So I was <laughs> like, well, damn, I guess you should probably fire me, but I didn't want to say that. Right. <laughs> and then one day I came in and they were just like, Hey Tim, you want to grab a Coke and we can talk? And I was like, Oh, that's not good. I've never been offered a free, never been offered a free Coke from this guy. So he's probably going to fire me. He's like, yeah, it's not working out. One time actually, like I was supposed to be called in, they were shorthanded and it was only me and this other person that could come in. And then the one manager that was working there told me later that they said, you should bring Tim in. And the boss was like, no, I want somebody that knows how to make a sandwich. And I was like a 30-year-old man being told that I didn't know how to make a sandwich. And I was like, this is not good. But I actually texted him later and I was like, I understand why you fired me. So I was like, I hope your business goes well. And I don't think he expected that. He was like, oh. And I was like, it's fine. I got five minutes out at Laugh Factory about it. So it'll, it'll be fine. Yeah, the clip is from Laugh Factory. It was a show called Verified Laughs that um, Zach O'Ryan, Greg Kennedy, and uh, Daryl Schmitz run. And, uh, I did that I, show. It was great. Yeah, it's really a good show. And I, it was like a contest and I didn't know how to like get into it. So I put my name into a bowl. They have like a one lottery spot mm -hmm. and they drew my name for the lottery spot that night. So I was able to go up and do this, do the set. And it was like the best set I've ever, I don't, I mean, you know, like it's like one of those sets where everything, everything I said, they laughed at. Mm -hmm. And I never really like comics talk about how they feel the energy from the crowd on stage, but I never felt that. But that with this set in Chicago, I literally like felt every laugh that they were giving me and it felt amazing. And then for the next like 10 minutes after the set, I was just kind of walking around in the days. Like uh, this girl that I, I, I liked in Chicago, she like was one of the comics. And the first time she heard me say anything, I was like in a daze after the set. And I was like, that's <laughs> the best I was like, that's the best set I've ever done. And I went to like, I guess I went to the Walgreens and I got like two Arizona iced teas and I didn't drink them. I just left them on the ground. Mm -hmm. but that's how like disoriented I was. But <laughs> And uh, 
so yeah the set that you're gonna see is like that set it was a really fun set and it's about me being fired I do want to make a comment real quick. And that is that when I did that show, same, same thing happened where I was like, well, first of all, I went there. I was first person to go up after the, the host, the host bombed for 10 straight minutes. And I'm like, Oh fuck, I'm screwed. And I went up there cause I didn't think the audience was good. turns out he just sucks really. Or he, he was sucking that night really bad. And he was trying all this new stuff and it was a bad idea. I went up and they just like did a 180 and the audience in Chicago at the clubs are just like insanely good. Like they, they love comedy. It's not like, it's not like we're not good. It's just that we're so used to having shitty audiences Yeah. that when you're in a big city where they like love this kind of humor that we write, we're like, what? You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like a read a redemption. It was great. Yeah. I am funny. Uh, was this the first time you did the bit? Like all together? Um, no, it was probably, oh, that was June. I think that set was, and I got fired in, uh, April. Okay. So yeah, I moved there February. I got fired in like April and then that set was June. So I probably done it maybe seven or eight times before that. It's a great I had set. A, yeah. I had a nine 11 joke in there that like, it was so hit or miss. You'll see it, but it's just, it kind of misses in the, in the beginning of the set, but it was too funny for me not to say, and I was just like, I don't care. I'll, I'll just say it. If people don't laugh, they don't laugh. All right. All right. Um, so without any further delay, Jeremy, you want to cue that up? Uh, this is Tim Wolf from the Laugh Factory Sandwich Shop. I actually, I flew into Chicago for a job interview at a sandwich shop. Which I think, yeah, I think it was the saddest use of a plane since 9-11. I'm going to throw that out there. I flew in for the interview, which that was also every answer I gave them at the interview. They were like, what's one of your strengths? I said, I flew in for this interview. What's one of your weaknesses? I flew in for this interview. <laughs> you have any references? Yeah, 800-832-6352. Was that the phone number of your previous employer? No, it's the number of O'Hare Airport. <laughs> if you call them, they will confirm that I flew in for this interview. <laughs> I was actually, I was on the plane next to this guy and I was like, what are you, why are you going to Chicago? And he was like, oh, I'm flying into Northwestern to interview for the chief of neurosurgery. <laughs> what about you? Pretty similar. <laughs> yeah, you and I are basically the same person. <laughs> but I got the job. And then I was fired from the job. <laughs> I actually got fired earlier this month because I went back. I went back home for a week, and I was. I asked my boss, "Can I have June first through June fifth off?" And my boss, bless you. I said, "Can I have June? Can I have June first through June fifth off?" And my boss said, "Yeah, you can have June first through the apocalypse off." <laughs> 
When Jesus comes back, you can come back. How about that? I didn't do anything. He just didn't like the way I made sandwiches. He didn't like that I kept hurting myself at work. I cut myself. What do you think I cut myself on at the sandwich shop? What do you think? It's a sandwich shop. Give up, it's a tape dispenser. <laughs> a room full of sharp metal objects, and I cut my finger on a tape. That's like if you went to an orgy and you got herpes from the toilet seat. <laughs> my boss was like, how come you don't talk to the customers? And I was like, because I don't know what to say to them. And he was like, don't you do stand-up comedy? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, well, just act like you're on stage. So this guy came in and he was like, yeah, can I have the ham and cheese? And I said, my girlfriend broke up with me last year. <laughs> and I'm still really bitter about it. And then my boss came over and he was like, yeah, you're fired. <laughs> but I'm just going to keep going in, I think. I'm going to keep going in. I'm going to keep going into work. They're not going to put me on the schedule, but I'm just going to keep going in. And when they ask me why, I'm going to be like, well, because Chicago's this is a progressive city. So I'm going to keep going into work and I'll be like, well, no, I, I identify as employed. <laughs> I was born unemployed, but I've just always felt employed. It's weird. I can use any bathroom I want. And I choose the employee bathroom. <laughs> Thank you guys. Have a good night. You can't laugh at that. I love that set. Such a good set. It's I did that. I did that. Identify as employed part of the joke in Columbus a couple years ago when, and there was, there was like one transgender person in the crowd, and I was like, is this going to be offensive? I didn't know if it was going to be offensive. And then the transgender person was the only one that laughed at that part. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I guess, I guess that worked out. But I was like kind of nervous because I'd never, I didn't, obviously like I didn't think in my mind, it was just like me talking about how ridiculous it is to get fired from the job. But I was like, is this offensive? And then when the transgender person laughed, I was like, okay, I guess it's not that bad. So I was, I was like, all right. With it. Kind of like, kind of like when Jeff said that uh, all those people were behind, uh, offended on that person's behalf. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> They're all too afraid to laugh. And then <clears throat> like when I tell a joke where, you know, the, the one where I say they're the faggots, you know, like they, the black people love that joke, but white people will sometimes clam up. And so mm -hmm. no, I don't really care about doing that joke or offending any white people because they're a bunch of cocksuckers. About yeah, it. It's a good so, joke. Yeah. Um, I've never had no. a good set in Columbus because it's mostly white people, and I don't think they like. Me. <laughs> <laughs> Columbus they're is also very indignant, city. and like they're like faux progressives that don't really have an intellectual side. They're just kind of like, like, oh, that's offensive. 
Yeah, they look at the the buzzwords. They don't listen to the context. They're just right. like, oh, buzzword, and then they get sad. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Stop being offended on somebody else's behalf. Let them make that choice. Yeah. You know. Um. Yeah. We the whole last episode that we recorded was all about that. Um. But with this joke, the uh, so was that like the employee bathroom I identify as an employee was that did you write that part first or like yeah that was the first well yeah I mean was, was that first, like a standalone bit before or a standalone joke before no I wrote it all at the same time but I think the employee bathroom was the part I was like that's the funniest part so it has to go last but I think I wrote that first and then the rest of it was just building up to it I really because a lot of people are like they, they identified as jokes or hack and I was like that's true but I really thought the employee bathroom thing was like original so i was like i gotta get to that point so i might as well be hacked for like five seconds yeah and then get to the employee bathroom part yeah but you aren't hacked the rest of the set like it's a very well structured set with a lot of good writing and then so when you get to that joke it's the last joke like even though some people would consider it hack it's not like it's what they're identifying with stuff Identify. Yeah, people are like, oh, everybody's got the identify as this jokes now because they're like, oh, it's like trendy or whatever to like talk yeah. about that. But I have heard I was, those. I haven't really heard much of them either, but in Chicago, I guess they've heard everything. So they're just like, well, yeah, I don't know. So I don't know. I Yeah, I mean, I thought they, they said I had five minutes and I had more jokes planned, but then halfway through when I realized they had laughed so much that I didn't, I could probably only finish that bit. Mm-hmm. Like halfway through, I think I decided the bathroom part had to be the closer. Mm-hmm. So then I kind of like spaced it out. I kind of stopped. I usually talk pretty fast on stage to the point where I'll trip over words. Mm-hmm. But at Laugh Factory, I was like, all right, I have to wait until I have to kill enough time that that's the closer. So I would pause more in between lines. And I think it actually helped a lot because I seemed more comfortable than I usually am on stage. Mm-hmm. So I think that that worked out for the best at the end that I, they were laughing so hard. I had to like drag it out for longer. Yeah. Yeah. You had to let them laugh. So it worked because you were like spoon feeding it all to them. Nice. Like they were getting every joke and it was like nice and timed out that way. It worked out. So yeah. The cool. laughter makes it seem like your timing is better than it actually is. Like the laughter is like a good pause, but you're like, no, if they weren't laughing, this would be super awkward. My timing is, right. all, is dependent on how, how much the crowd laughs. Yeah. And also even some of the parts where you pause and there weren't laughs, like it's crazy how pausing at the right time for the right amount of time can exude confidence to an audience. Yeah. Like if, if they sense that you're not confident, I mean, if you, if you're uncomfortable with pauses, you're not confident. So if they sense that, that like discomfort, uh, if you're rushing through a set, like you're not yeah. going to get those laughs too. Plowing so. through never works. It just, yeah, when you get those pauses, everybody's like, oh, he knows there's a big laugh there. And it just, it's so consistent that it just makes sense. Yeah. And your body language never changed either. So that was. It was a small thing, but at the beginning when I'm like, uh, I'm like, uh, I'm new to Chicago and then nobody laughs and I'm like, all right, thanks for the welcome. I didn't plan (laughs) on saying that. And then when they laughed at that, I was like, okay, so any, any, I I find that anytime you can drop something in there that's kind of improv then they mm-hmm. they think it's more off the top of your head and they yeah. respect it more mm-hmm. so that's that always works but i never really do that i always try to like say exactly what i want to say and then just get off stage but that was like one of the looser sets that i, I had done so that, that was fun 
Yeah, it was. It was. It's like late night ready. Like you, I could see that set. I could imagine that on like a Conan or a, or a Jimmy Fallon. Or, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's just it's so tightly written. It's got a beginning, a middle, and an end. Like you can clearly see when each like there's an arc to each bit in that chunk, and it's like really yeah. If I'm I, not I mistaken, that, if I'm not mistaken, I literally texted or I messaged. Tim and told him the exact same thing. I was like, this is like late night. Like, yeah, you, you did. You sent me a really nice message about that. I, did. I was like, that's yeah. nice. Laughing. I like what you said before we uh, showed the clip too, that like whenever you encounter a failure, you're like, nope, this is a bit like, yeah, this. I don't, it's kind of the point. I don't even know if I'm like self-sabotaging because I know that it would be funnier if I fuck up. So I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, well, Maybe I just won't fix this thing. It's not a conscious decision, but it's maybe I got fired because I thought it'd be funnier, no, which ended I up happening, I guess. But like, if I was still working there and talking about how great I am at making sandwiches, nobody would give a shit. Right. So it's like, fine, I'll just fuck up, and then I'll talk about how much of a fuck up I am, and people will be like, "That's relatable." Mm-hmm. Nobody so wants to hear about how good you are at your job. Yeah, you can't succeed as a comedian. People start disliking you when you succeed. So you're just like. Hey, I'm a failure at everything. And then people are like, that's great. Applause break. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like any good storyteller, you know, you want the audience to kind of, to see the, the the world that you've built through your eyes. And I mean, that's what makes like screenplays and like good movies and TV shows and stories and comedians uh, easy to follow along with because, you know, they create that world. Like, Oh, I see myself in that. Like as an audience. You cross the line. It's five minutes, but there's so much content and context there. Um, I don't know how much you think about these things when you write. Um, but for example, like you repeat yourself, uh, like I flew in for this interview. Yeah. It's part of the setup of the, of like the first joke and then it becomes the punchline, but it's also the setup for the next part of the bit and the, like the repetition in the setup can sometimes um, get an audience looking over here so that when you slip in the punchline, it's like, yeah, you don't realize this is happening on the, on their, on the other side. I remember, I remember reading a, a while ago that Norm Macdonald said that his favorite jokes are ones where the setup and the punchline are the same thing. And, uh, like, so if I can, I, I'll try to do that because it's, it's like a decent callback. And also it feels like, it's like, I find it's like foreshadowing a script where you're like, if you can set it up beforehand and then pay it off, it feels like you knew what you were doing the whole time, even if you really didn't. Mm-hmm. So I try to like slip as much call, as many callbacks in as I can. But there was like a, the norm joke that he was talking about was, I think it was a weekend update joke where he's talking about um, how Julia Roberts uh, got a divorce from Lyle Lovett. And he's like, he's like, uh, the main problem in their marriage occurred when she realized she was Julia Roberts and he was Lyle Lovett. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then, so the the fly, the fl- I flew in for this interview. Actually, the part, the part in the middle where I say, um, where I say uh, that someone came in, and uh, they're like, yeah, can I have the ham and cheese? And I say, my girlfriend broke up with me last year. I, I, I took that. that out and I replaced it with another, I flew in for this interview because it seemed to work better. So now in the, in the, in the newer version of the joke, when the guy like, I'm, I need a ham and cheese. I'm like, I flew in for this interview. And then, 
And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, it was the saddest use of a plane since 9-11. Mm-hmm. So even if they groan at the beginning part where the, I say 9-11, they kind of laugh when I call back to it because they're just like, how awkward to say that to a customer at a sandwich shop. So it's almost like I'm tricking the audience into laughing at a joke that bombed like a minute ago. So it's, it's yeah. that part feels good now when I do that yeah. on stage because they're, they're, they're like, oh shit, he got me that second time with that 9-11 shit. That's funny. It's tough because I feel like the original version was good too. So it's like, I almost don't want you to lose that part, but still, I mean, you do whatever you want, your comic, but. Well, the original version worked better as a callback because I said there was like a part in the beginning where I'm like, uh, so my, uh, or no, I say that. And then later on in the set, I'm like, so my girlfriend broke up with me last year and I'm still really bitter about it. And then they laugh at the setup because I said it in the sandwich shop joke. So if I have a longer set, like 15, 20 minutes, I can do that part as like a callback. But if it's like a five or 10 minute set, now I just do the flew in for this interview part in that spot. And they'd seem to laugh as hard as they would if I did the original version. Hmm. So it's just depending on how long I'm up there and how many callbacks I can do. But if I can't figure out like a punchline, I'll just do a callback and it works just as well because they're like, Oh, he re- I remember that. It's kind of like a, ch- a cheap way to get a laugh, but I, I just like saying things that I said before in a, in a way that gets them to almost trick them into laughing. Yeah. It's yeah. almost like a cheat code, a good use of callbacks. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's too easy. Cause I feel like, you know, if we're comics and we like writing jokes. A lot of things are too easy in a way. Not, it's not the same thing, but it's not too different either. I feel like, I don't think, think people don't give themselves enough credit, but uh, cause we all have devices we use or like mechanisms for making jokes, you know, and that yeah. almost every of our styles, all of our styles are like too easy because I, I come up with jokes with the same style all the time. And I'm like, this is too easy. I want to switch styles, you know? Yeah. Make it harder or different. I feel like if I could do more facial expressions or be a little bit more physical on stage, I could do better, but there's something about just being on stage. I, f- I still feel awkward. Even after like eight years of it, I just get nervous. And I'm like, I want to say what I want to say and then just get off stage. I can't, I don't deal with hecklers well or people in the crowd or crowd work really m- makes me anxious if, it, if somebody's talking and they're yeah. like, oh, I bet he's going to be funny with, with this guy. And then I just go, shut the fuck up. Like I just, <laughs> I get mad at the crowd. Yeah. And, uh, wait, Steve, you have a problem with that too. Don't you hate hecklers? Like people talking during the show? Yeah, and I usually do resort more times than not. I will resort to just the simple, like, I will kill you. Like, (laughs) I don't, and it will get a laugh sometimes, which is part of the reason I do it because I know people, if I say it in a funny way, like, I will end your life. And then people (laughs) just laugh at that, or I'll just be like, shut. I'll confidently say, shut the fuck up. And then they will usually, the audience will usually like that. It will not necessarily work. But at least the audience is like, oh, this guy's confident. And that just like earns me points in a way. But other than that, yeah. like I still, I, and I'm still stiff at least part of the time on stage, depending on how nervous I feel. Some days I'm just like super on and I like don't have any fear. But other days I'm just like clammed up and like still working on stage presence or physicality and things like that. Yeah. I like your dialogue based comedy. Like I love dialogue. Like, and I like, oh, yeah. think, I like thinking of dialogue myself, but I don't put it into my comedy. I like, I want to make sketches and stuff, but I never like inject that into a set, which is weird. Yeah. When I write scripts, my favorite part of writing scripts is the dialogue. I don't even really think about the action parts. I'm just like, I want like, two characters to like talk and say funny things. Right. So it's sometimes easier to do that in a script than on stage because on stage it feels more like a sketch. If you're doing 
stand up and you're doing characters talking, it can kind of feel like a sketch, like it would work better as a sketch. Mm -hmm. But so that's why I write scripts because I like the dialogue, but you can, I, I find that you can rarely do it on stage unless you're good at voices or impressions or something. But I don't know. I, I just, I like talk like two people talking. So if I, if I can do that on stage, I prefer that over just like one liners. Yeah. You All kept right. it simple with the, with the dialogue in this bit too. Like the guy on the plane. I mean, I mean, you were done with that joke in like two or three lines. Uh, yeah. I mean, and each line was just a quick one sentence, like, so there's not, you know, there's not a lot of time wasted in just a back and forth dialogue. It was just like, you, like, I forget how you introduced the, like the first line of dialogue you use on the plane um, with, with the dude from Northwestern or whatever. Oh yeah. He's like, uh, oh, that was another thing that changed too. I added something. Actually, it was, uh, when I, when I moved back to Youngstown, What's his name? The uh, the guy that does the toast song is that Charlie Weiner? Uh, I'm not familiar. He's uh, yeah. anyway. He's like Bob and Tom, one of those Bob and Tom guys, like a radio like yeah. person. But he was doing the Funny Farm in Youngstown, and I did that bit about the um, the guy on the plane. He's like, yeah, I'm flying into Northwestern uh, to be the chief of neurosurgery, and I was like, what a coincidence. Uh, and then I said something else, but then Charlie Weiner was like, you should say, well, I might be wearing rubber gloves soon too. <laughs> and I was like, that's hilarious. I've never really, like, I don't know how to take tags that other people give me and use them on stage. But that was one moment where I was like, that's too funny to not say on stage. So I used it and it got a big laugh. Mm -hmm. And then he gave me like a thumbs up from, from the wings. And I was like, all right, that's cool. I'll keep that in. So now at that part, when he says, uh, you know about Northwestern. I go well. I might be wearing rubber gloves soon too. So, and the crowd seems to enjoy it. So that's like the one part that was given to me by somebody else. But I, it was just too funny not to use. So I was like, all right, I guess I'll keep it. That is really funny. Yeah, I'm never. I'm never again. If somebody gives me a good tag, like I'm, I'm all about it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's. I feel a little cheap when I do it because if it's funny, I'm like, you could do that on stage, and it could be funny for you. And then if it's yeah. funny for me, I feel like I stole that laugh. But like Charlie didn't care. He was just like, yeah, just do it. It's fun. Yeah. That's like, that's like borrowing someone else's couch. Like they're like, you know, this doesn't really fit my family room, but like, I don't yeah. need it at your house, you know? Yeah. Have He's like, like, well, I'll just take have it. Yeah. Yeah. He plays, he, he, he hits a toaster with a spoon and it's a really funny toast song. He doesn't have any room for rubber gloves. <laughs> yeah. Rubber glove yeah. sandwiches. No, no, so it fits better in your set. Now, and that's that's a great line too. Just the the juxtaposition between you know a neurosurgeon and like yeah. I'm moving to Chicago to to yeah. That's like the only thing that a neurosurgeon and a sandwich person has in common is they both wear gloves. Yeah, right. pretty much. And in it. this case, they share the same flight. That's funny. Yeah, I really like that bit. I remember because I was um, the six courses of comedy show. Like I host the show, but I also like make sure the communication is there between the kitchen and the, where the show's going. So I'm running up and down to make sure um, like they're on time with bringing their food up for the next course. And I just totally like forgot because I was watching that bit and uh, <laughs> the food came up a little bit later for the, for your course, but. Oh yeah. Was, Mine was, was really good. Ready. It was the, the lattice salad or whatever. Yeah. The lattice yeah. salad. Yeah. yeah. Too soon. So you get to the uh, to the job, and um, you you give a couple of reasons why you got fired, but you, you kept hurting yourself. 
Um, oh yeah, I cut my finger on a tape dispenser, and yeah. I was just like bleeding from the finger, and I was like, "Oh, this isn't good for the sandwich." Yeah, and Are also, right or yeah, yeah, that actually okay. happened because I the and it was the tape dispenser was rusty, so I was just like worried that I got tetanus, <laughs> and I was, <laughs> I'm just like bumming people out at work, just like, "Do you think I got tetanus?" And they're like, "I think you." And then yeah, I didn't you get wouldn't be able to talk. That's good. Yeah, you get lockjaw or something when you get tetanus. But ooh. I worried about that as a kid. I like cut myself on a rusty fence, and for like a year, I was like freaking out because I'm like stupid and young. I was yeah. like in third grade. I was like, I'm gonna get lockjaw. I was <laughs> irrelevant. I, I got a tetanus shot when I was a projectionist because uh, we were playing Inglorious Bastards, and it just like kept stopping and starting and stopping and starting, and I got frustrated, so I. I took a strip of film that I had found on the ground and I like used it like a whip to try to like hit this metal table. But I, I hit my finger and it started gushing blood and I didn't want yeah. to tell them that I got, I cut my finger cause I was mad. Cause I was like, that'll probably not make them happy. So I told them it, my finger got caught in the sprocket of the projector. And, uh, so I got a tetanus shot. They put like a needle right in the wound and it, it was like awful. So now whenever I get cut by something even remotely rusty, I'm just like, uh, we'll just see. I don't, I think te if tetanus kicks in, that's fine. I don't want to get that shot again. Yeah. It's like a bee sitting on your, on your wound, just sticking you. It's gross. Ugh. I'd rather yeah. get, yeah, I'd rather get tetanus. It's fine. Yeah. But yeah, no, the, the sandwich shop though, it was funny because people would have sp specific things they wanted on their sandwich but I would still make it according to how like it's in the menu because I would forget. So I, they would like write what they wanted on the sandwich and then they put the order on the thing while I'm making it. And then I'd, I'd wrap it up and give it to them. And then I would see the order and it would be like banana peppers. And I'd be like, no, that would have been good on there. <laughs> <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I wish that I would have put that, that would have made that more flavorful for you. And then they just probably left a horrible Yelp review. But I, I, I dropped an eggplant parmesan on the ground once and the boss was just like tim what's wrong and i was like i'm just dumb i don't know what <laughs> it's not i'm not trying to just drop shit all, all over the floor i'm just stupid not but a sandwich yeah, artist yeah now i work at a peanut brittle factory and they haven't fired me yet so peanut brittle better than sandwiches just don't don't put banana peppers in the peanut brittle <laughs> that might uh, that might be good i don't know or someone will be like, I asked for banana peppers on my peanut brittle and then you're gonna fire it again. <laughs> oh man. Uh, I love how you set it up too, the, the tape dispenser bit, because you could just easily go right into getting cut by a tape dispenser, but then you're like, I'm in a sandwich shop full of sharp things. Yeah. What did I get cut by? Yeah, and I was like, what's the what's the equivalent? And then the, my, my 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 brain went to like an orgy with like a bunch yeah. of penises that are diseased and you're just like ah, i got it from the toilet seat and you're just like all right that's fine that's such a good joke did that that like got an applause break um <laughs> i mean that's I a like, good there, so like different parts of that joke will get the response that i want and then other parts like it's that it fluctuates so much like some bits will in that joke will get more attention and then i'll get to the what i think is good which is the employee bathroom part and then it'll just be like dead silence. And I'll just be like, okay. It got to the point where I, I had the, that clip that you guys played. I have that audio on my phone. And I wanted to just bring that up on stage so that when I do that bit and they don't give me the reaction I want, I can like play that, that clip into the microphone and be like, this is how you're supposed to respond. 
to that joke and then just play that. And they're like, okay, well, we get it now. We'll laugh harder. But what are their employees in this in the audience right now? Yeah, they yeah, that's offensive. Huh? Yeah. When when your boss comes to you, you set up that that act out. You know, when he asks if you do stand up. Um, like right there, you, you plant the seed in the audience's head that you're going to like have a punchline where you interact with somebody. So like you set up, you set that up, you build tension with that. And then, um, when the person does come in and like, I asked for a ham and cheese or they asked for a ham and cheese. And then you do the, the girlfriend punchline or in this case, now you do the callback. Like it's such a great like people know where the punchline is going to be. They just don't know what the punchline is going to be. And it's, yeah, it's, it, you can, yeah, it really just like, I mean, it really just all came organically from just the experience of being fired for the first time. I'd never been fired before. So if like now, if I get broken up with, I'm just like, well, shit, I already have an hour of jokes about this. So yeah. it's like, I don't, I, there's no, untapped material there but if, if i when i got fired i was like shit i've never been fired before i worked at a movie theater for like nine years and uh then when i moved to chicago i was fired after like two months and i was like ah oh, this is new so then yeah. my brain just kind of was like all right well let's, let's figure out some good firing jokes so yeah it ended up working out it's was, it was all very like natural i did i think maybe that bit as soon as as soon as i got fired i think maybe i'd had the whole bit maybe in like a day or two yeah just from just thinking about it so if if I can think of something that happens, if I can think of jokes after something that happens like that, like that fast, it's usually it's usually pretty decent because if I don't have to try very hard, right? It's all right there. Um, I'm the same way as far as like if something bad happens, uh, immediately my brain is like, well, this is funny. Don't get mad. Like don't you know? Don't get too down on yourself. This is going to be great material. Just like when you're ready, sit down and write. Yeah. Um, what's your writing process like in a situation like that? Do you like, do you physically write things down? Do you like talk it out and then write down what's good or does Um, it vary per situation? A lot of stuff I'll think of. I have like, I go to the notes app on my phone and I have, um, how much do I have now? Some of these are set lists. This isn't like an accurate number, but I have 2030 notes on my notes app because I'll just think of like a bullet point and I'll write those two words down. And then later when I come back and look at the bullet point, I'll remember the whole thought, but I rarely write out the entire thought. I just write like two or three or four words and then I'll be like, okay. So sandwich shop was, I think the note for that. And then I would just remember what I thought in my head about the sandwich shop and then go to that. But I used to, when I first started doing comedy, I would write everything I was going to say verbatim from beginning to end, but then that sounded too robotic. So now I just, kind of write bullet points in my notes and then I just remember what I thought and then just try to like spitball from there about ideas that I could put in it. Also when I do a set and I listen to it over and over and over again, I'll think of like different tags. So if I like the first, the, the, the first part of that, the first set I did of that was like very bare bones. And then I, but I listened to it over and over again and I was like, Oh, the dead spots. You can kind of like see where the dead spots are in the audio. So you're like, I got to fill that with like a joke or something. So that's my process is I'll just think of bullet points, write it down go on stage with it and then listen to it over and over again until I can think of like three or four or five more jokes to turn into an actual bit. And then that ends up being kind of what, what you see like on stage as far as my writing goes. I don't, I wish I could write, sit down and just write exactly what I'm going to say, but it never happens that way. I always write kind of 
a little bit of what I'm going to say and then the rest comes later. Yeah. I, I try, like I overwrite, I feel like, and then once I have pages of like what the dialogue is going to be, I just cut it down. Like the more and more I look at it, the more and more I get on stage, I just, I just cut and cut and cut. And then I get to start adding like tags. Um, and that's why like, I'm with you on listening to your, like your recording. Steve, do you record yourself? When you was my, no, never. And I should, but I don't. Oh, you don't I, record yourself? Curse. I feel cursed by it. Really? And it throws me off. I like, sometimes I just forget that I'm rec- recording myself, but I just never get a good set. And what's weird is I should be recording more. So I get a good set, not less because I'll never, you know what I mean? That logic doesn't make sense, but yeah, I don't. Yeah. And that you're supposed to listen to your bad sets more than your good sets because they're like, well, the bad sets are where you, you learn from those bad sets, but it's so cringeworthy to listen to yourself bomb that I end up just listening to the kind of like the half good sets. Yeah. The, the, the terrible sets, I'm just like, I'd rather just eternal sunshine of the spotless mind this out of my brain. And then I'll just like pretend that didn't happen. And then kind of like that, the semi good sets, I'll listen to those and be like, okay, I can make that funnier there. But yeah. if I bomb, yeah, I just delete it. I can't. I can't listen to that. I was so mad about a set I had the other night, but I was like, I need to listen back to this. And uh, it was brutal to get through it. But like, there was as a- I'm listening to myself. I was like, oh, I wish I would have said this. Or like, I, I like added a tag, like while the uh, recording was playing. So, you know, there's, there's benefit in that. Also one of, um, when I try to figure out what uh, topics I'm, I want to write about, I, a lot of it comes from watching other comics and then thinking to myself, oh, I wish they would have taken it this direction. Like, you know, growing yeah. up Catholic, you see a lot of comics that, that joke about that. Um, and we yeah. all have different experiences of, of life, but we can all relate to a certain point. And I was like, oh, I, want, I wanted them to, to take it here, but they don't have that experience. I do. So that's where I like come in and start writing based off of that. So I feel like I do the same when I listen to my recordings. Yeah, you can piggyback off of like premises or topics. It's usually just topics. I'll hear something that'll either remind me of something I wrote before and forgot to write it down or don't, I couldn't remember, like didn't have it anywhere near me. And I'm like, oh, I have that joke. Or I'll just think of something new where I'm like, oh, I know where I could take this. And it's completely my own, but it's like, you know, you get inspiration. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, it's like uh, when I first started, in Youngstown, like Eric Cribbley was my favorite comic because his, oh. his, his bits were so well constructed and like thought out. And I was just like, man, I wish I could do that. So it really helped when I first started to have him kind of as like almost like a mentor. I would see a set of his and be like, I want to try to do something like that. And it kind of just turned into he would like write a dark joke. And then I'd be like, let's see if I can write a darker joke. And then he mm-hmm. would be like, well, let's see if I can write a darker joke. And then it got to the point where like we were just saying really offensive things on stage and then he would be the only one that would like, he has such a distinctive laugh that yeah. I would be like, I'd be like, shit, I could probably take that on stage at a comedy club. But his laugh really meant like nobody in a comedy club would laugh at it because it was so dark. So I, I learned that pretty quick when Eric yeah. would laugh really hard at something, I would go on stage and bomb and then he would just like be laughing at me bombing at something that he laughed at. So it's just, that really yeah. helps too when you have a comic that you respect and you see them go up there and you're just like, I want to do that. And that, that honestly, like probably, I probably wouldn't have kept doing it, honestly, if it hadn't been for people like, uh, like Eric Cribbley and Shane Herman and Youngstown, like the Youngstown comics and stuff that, that are, you know, like Shane's still doing it. Eric doesn't do it anymore, but 
I mean, it was, it was, it helps a lot to have comics that you respect that are good writers. And you're just like, I want to keep doing that. I want to impress those people. I don't even really care if the, the audience laughs. I just want to make comics that I respect, like laugh. Like, yeah. I remember I did a show at the, uh, the tap house, I think maybe the Avenue tap house in Cleveland, one of those places, but yeah. it was a whole table full of like, like Mary Santoro is one of the comics. And I think like a couple other people were there and I was like bombed really bad. And I was like, Oh shit. I feel bad that I bombed in front of these comics that I like. Yeah. But yeah. So it's, I, I, I guess I got to start caring about the audience more than the comics, but it's <laughs> the point where I just want you guys to laugh. And then, uh, and if you guys laugh, I feel like that's good. Even if the audience stares at me like I'm an asshole. You can't laugh at that. Did your boss actually say, well, don't you do comedy? Like when it yeah, he to told that? me that that was the one part of the, like he, that was, that was the one part of the joke that was hundred percent true is he was just like, don't you do comedy? And he's like, well, talk to him like you do on stage. I didn't actually say that to a person, but I right. thought about it in my head. I was like, what if I did act like I do on stage in front of customers? I don't think that would work. I, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> I think that frequently I, um, when things are open, I run a uh, service industry theme show, uh, once a month. And like I, it's mostly service industry people in the audience. So I'll open the show. Like, here's what I want to say to tables. Like, I want to act like I'm on stage when they're there. So I was like, are you guys dating? Like, I really want to get into their, you know, personal life and like cross lines yeah. and figure out what they want to eat based off of their, like their kinks. With a job like that too, they, we, they were working for tips, you know, so they yeah. would be extra friendly to people. And I just like, don't know how to talk to strangers. So I would yeah. just, make their sandwich, give it to them and then leave. And my boss would just be like, why don't you just like ask them how their day is going? And I, I'd be like, well, I don't, I don't care. Like, I don't, wanna, I don't, it felt weird to pretend like I cared about their job just for like a quarter or something that they would give you. But so many, that job was so everybody there was just, there were power moves. Like yeah. you forget it was a sandwich shop job. Cause people are just like, you know, uh, Jake doesn't like put the, he puts the lettuce on like at the bottom of the bun, you're supposed to put it on the top. And it's just like, oh, this was this is fucking house of carbs. I actually, <laughs> <laughs> I actually posted that when it happened, I was like, this fucking place is like house of carbs. And then the more I think about it, I'm like, no, that's kind of accurate. That should be the name of the place was the house of carbs. Cause they just like every person there was trying to undermine the other person to get maybe like a 50 cent raise. And I was just like, I don't really see the point in that. I'd rather just get fired and talk about it on stage in front of strangers. I hate the dynamics of the food industry uh, hierarchy. It's like I got fired from TGI Fridays seven years ago, and that was the only time I've ever gotten fired from a job. And I was like really like bitter about it. I didn't write anything about it, but you make me want to write jokes about getting fired. I just can't think of anything super funny about it. Uh, How long did you work there before you got fired? Oh, not even like a month. It was oh. during Good Friday that weekend, or Black Friday, sorry. Uh, there's a joke right there. You get, like, <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean... But was it you because you were, were you too slow? Is that the reason they fired you? Or was it no, no, I was... I could talk about it right now. I was... Uh, the Gary, the general manager, he looked like Patton Oswalt. He's like this little guy, right? And he's like ogre-ish. And uh, he, he took me into it. Well, one day he came, I worked really hard. I was a hard, good worker, but I was very like, uh, I was not friendly. Like, you know, you know me. I'm, uh, yeah. And, but it's one of those things where like, I, I was a busser too. So it's not like I'm serving, you know what I mean? Like I'm keeping to myself and just doing grunt work essentially. 
but I was friendly with the employees. I was very social and, and, and nice. But when Gary came around one day, I'm cleaning off a table. He's like, so how you like the job? And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Okay. Y- you learn something about the food industry or any job in general. It's like, do you, they do not value honesty. They value your fake enthusiasm. Yeah. And so I, I was not honest. I was sort of honest. I was, I was like, I don't know. It's good. It was very, it wasn't, you could kind of tell. I was like, eh, like, what do you fucking want me to say? I'm bussing tables. Like, do you love the job? That's a weird question to ask because you kind of like, or like, what are you asking me? Cause no, I don't love bussing tables, but I like that. I have a job. This is great yeah. to have a job. Thanks. Uh, if you want to, <laughs> so how does it feel to have a job? I would have been like, this is fucking awesome. But he <laughs> said, how do you love the job? Like, fuck you, bitch. I'm not going to lie to your face. And I thought he would appreciate honesty. I was like, yeah, it's all right. You know, it's what it is. And then, you know, a week later, he's like, takes me uh, into the office. And he's like, <sighs> he acted so stressed about it. It's like, dude, just fire me, you pussy. Like, dude, why is this such a hard thing for you to do? Are, if I, am I that great of a person or do you not like me? I mean, come on. If you don't like me, just fire my ass. Yeah. And he was like, we got to let you go. We got to let you go. I'm like, why? I'm like, he's like, you're just too nonchalant. And that just stuck with me forever. Cause I like, I get that. Like I get it. Like I'm self-aware. I just don't work on myself. That's the problem. Uh, yeah. and it's one of those things where I'm like, well, fuck you, bitch. Uh, you know, nonchalant. And then we had like an, like an argument out and we all, we both sat down like a table and I don't know. I don't want to keep going on about this, but it was, it was funny, but it wasn't fun. Like I couldn't think of any jokes. I still can't. I probably could if I really work at it, but no, you just got to come like nonchalant comebacks. Like I, th- I think that's funny. No, you're right. Like that would be a perfect joke, David. Thank you for telling me that. I might use that avenue where if when he says you're too nonchalant, then I have a nonchalant response to that. Yeah. That would be a perfect joke. So I will I will steal that from you, David. If Do I it, can make man. it work. <laughs> Do I, like it. The idea of, I like the idea of nonchalant being like an insult to you. Just like, what are you supposed like, to be like? I should have been like, I don't speak French. I should have said that. <laughs> Shalom. That's what I should say. I'd be like, sorry, I don't understand French. <laughs> no, I'll say I don't understand French in a nonchalant way. That would double it up. Yeah. However, I would do that. So yeah, you could literally de- deliver a setup and punchline uh, that has like three layers to it. Right. <laughs> you should have. You should be like, well, this is Cleveland, so I'd say I'm more cavalier. Be like, <laughs> I should have been like, you know, I'm surprised you haven't been fired for looking like Pat Oswalt. <laughs> or just what if like, it was Pat Oswalt? That'd be funny if it was just really Pat Oswalt. I super I, wasn't funny, but yeah. What isn't TGI Fridays where Jennifer Aniston worked in Office Space where she had to wear the flare, or was that like Fridays? It was a playoff of it. Or was yeah, it, it was definitely a playoff of it. Yeah. Which is funny because they do that. They still did that. And I thought of that too. I'm like, I thought it was funny because I had to wear a black dress up shirt. I actually did have a joke about this place. I had to wear, I forgot about this joke, but I wore, you would wear black with like a red tie. So I felt like Satan. <laughs> <laughs> like that's how Satan dresses. If he's good. Yeah. <laughs> Satan can't find his red tie and he gets mad. Yeah. I I'm also Satan. said, I need a red tie. Great. <laughs> I said I looked like a member of Power Man 5000 because like they were kind of like, I don't even know if that's the band I was thinking of, but it just reminded me of some sort of weird mix between like metal. You know how some metal bands would wear like suits 
or like I can't it's like industrial mixed with I can't remember but it just kind of reminded me of that but yeah anyways um the, I think that sets up uh, this this clip uh because every every like bit that I found uh, about a comedian talking like talking about getting fired they lean into how much they deserve to be fired and uh, I, I think like if you were to take getting fired and how bad it is and just like over exaggerate it into like, this is my fault and just make yourself look like the bad person. Um, I, I think that's a great way to take it uh, while also laughing at yourself and moving on. Um, so Michelle Wolf has just a, a quick bit. This is from uh, just for laughs. I'm not sure what year it was. It is the video was posted uh, in 2020, but uh, let's check it out. I got fired from my last job. Aww. No, it was fair. I had stopped working. <laughs> when they fired me, they called me into HR. And they were like, Michelle, it seems like you're just not doing your job. And I was like, yeah, but for like nine months. <laughs> so I think two of us haven't been doing our jobs. <laughs> It's weird, you wait all day to do something and you're a procrastinator. But if you do it first thing in the morning, you're an alcoholic. <laughs> Make up your mind, HR. Laughing. <laughs> I think that bit just kind of leans into that whole like, if you get fired, you get fired for a reason, so let's laugh about it. She kind of inspired me because I saw her at the cellar in New York City and uh, she made me realize, oh, I can tell jokes like this. You just got to fucking own it mm -hmm. and you can find the right audience. New York liked it, even though that audience is like a lot of out-of-towners and they may come from many different persuasions. Just the energy in the room made more sense in that context. And I was like, I could do these political jokes all day and people would love this stuff. You just got to mm -hmm. go to the right place and do it the right way. I mean, obviously I can work on the way I do it. That It's half the battle, but also, you know, kind of like me and Tim were talking about going to Chicago, people are just like eating up comedy and we're like, wow, this stuff is good. It's just people suck in a lot of small towns yeah. uh, or at least they're just not our brand of, of demographic. So, and I understand that, but. Yeah. And you kind of see that too. When she says she got fired, people are like, oh, what, why, why are you like putting feelings into me for that? Are you yeah. relating based off your own experience? And my bit when I'm like, uh, when I'm like, uh, I got the job, then, then they clap. Yeah. And then I go, and then I got fired from the job and then they clap again. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's almost like you're setting it up to where they're supposed to clap. So even when it's something bad, they clap. So it's, 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 it's cool that they like any crowd that's into me getting fired is going to be into that joke. Mm -hmm. So any, any crowd that like, is kind of just like, Oh, I feel like they're, they're more like, Oh, this is sad that he was fired. But yeah, if a crowd is into you failing, then it, it, it goes pretty well. If that's your kind of humor. Exactly. It's like self-deprecating and it's like with a relationship, you know, it's, it's like, if it's, if it's like, if it's your fault, it's like, it's like if, if a relationship ends and it's your fault, it's kind of like funnier than if it's the other person's fault where you're just like, almost they're sad for you where you're just yeah. like, 
yeah, this happened, but I feel like, yeah, I fucked up. Like, I'm fucking, I'm bad at sex, everybody. And then they all just, like, started laughing. It's kind of like the jobs where you're just like, I couldn't make a sandwich. And they're like, oh, he's funny. Yeah. And, and I mean, even with that joke, when you say, you know, you got the job, they clap. That could be the end of the set because nobody wants to, like we said, nobody wants to hear about how good you are at sandwiches. But, and then when the very next line is, I got fired, it's like, it's, it's a great punch. Like you set them up, they clap. And then just a line that isn't even a joke becomes a, a punchline. I got fired. And yeah, it ends, up, it ends up working out nicely when you when you do self-deprecating humor long long enough. You just your brain just becomes kind of like, okay, I can make this funny. It actually makes the hardships a little bit better because you're like, I can probably get something out of this. Yeah. Whereas before I did comedy and I would mess up, I'm like, I guess I'm just <laughs> never going to be good at anything. But then when I fuck up now, I'm like, I'm actually better now at comedy because I fucked up in this other form of my life. So it, it's, 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 it's a it's weird, nice. it's a nice fail safe to have. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, so when I, when I do like, uh, speaking presentations, um, I used to like make jokes at the expense of other people that were in the stories, but I've noticed that when I turn the jokes on myself, the audience is on board. And oh yeah. It's, it's funny how that works. And even the other night, like I did a, a show where the audience wasn't on board with everything I was doing because I was doing all new stuff. And uh, at the end, like when I was leaving, there was somebody outside. He was like, I really appreciate how you, you know, you, you punch down on yourself. Like you joked at yourself um, because everybody else just kind of makes fun of other people. And that's not as, that's not as fun for me. And like, even though the set didn't go great, just that one dude being like, Hey, that was helpful for me. It goes a long way because everybody could use that that mentality that you have, you know, that if something goes wrong, it's just material. That's it. It doesn't mean anything other than that. Like you can learn from it better that way. Was that the, is that the pharmacy show that you did? No, that was, uh, that was another, uh, that was another one of his shows in Canton. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was thrust into crowd work and some of it worked, some of it didn't. And going back to callbacks that we were talking about earlier, I, uh, I finished a joke like at the end, I had just gotten the light and it was like 10 seconds after the light and I finished a joke. I was like, I'm going to end it here because this joke's going to work and the joke didn't work. So for the next 40 seconds, I was like, how do I tie the last thing I'm going to say to the first thing I said? And like, I did a little bit of like verbal jousting with myself and then I got to the call back and got a laugh at the end. And I was like, wow, maybe I should, uh, maybe I should like make this a goal of mine every time I get on stage or at least the next few times I get on stage. Like, I think it's helpful to be able to um, to say, you know, with this set, even though it might not go well, I still have a goal. Like I'm going to add yeah. this or take this out, or you know. Dave Chappelle does that a lot. He's like a master of callbacks, where he'll just reference a joke from the beginning. Like in 8:46, is new, and he referenced his jaw rule joke from like 2005. So it's like, if you can if you can throw a callback in there, I think people respect it. Yeah, he's crazy. He's got the reputation or the the status where he can do a, a call or the notorious you know notoriety of doing a callback from another special from like decades ago like it's yeah. crazy yeah it's uh, again kept going back to that like voice thing or whatever he did you know where he'd be like the voice of the other person or whatever mm-hmm. i think he did callbacks for that too reminds me of that oh yeah and that's a, that's an interesting device too that he's that he's pulled out to to give the audience's perspective. Like if somebody didn't find the joke funny and just kind of over-exaggerate that with the hey. silly voice. 
Yeah, I find like I'll find a joke that I wrote on Facebook in like 2012 or 13, and I'll be like, "Well, I can't post it now because I did it like eight years ago." Like anybody fucking remembers my status is from 2013. Somebody's gonna be like, "Hey, I seem to remember seven years ago you had the same joke." It's like nobody remembers, right? But obviously, if I had a special like Dave Chappelle and I referenced it ten years later, people would be like, "Oh, that's pretty cool." But yeah, so there you go, dude. You could start a Twitter and then just use all of your old jokes. Well, that's yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> what, what I would know. do if I had a Twitter. I would just recycle the old shit because I don't. Yeah. My my funny shit now is few and far between, really. But no, uh, you had a good one the other day that I that I sh- I forget what it was, but I showed my girlfriend and we both laughed. Like it was good. I liked it. I don't remember. What it well, was I showed it. my girlfriend all my jokes on stage, and she left me. So I'm yeah. glad that I'm glad I was bringing you and your girlfriend closer together. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> what is the key ingredient to your happy relationship? Tim Wolf's jokes. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> now, like a lot of these, um, a lot of these comics, like I said, I talk about you know they kind of punch down on themselves and blame themselves for getting fired, and I. I could only find one in my brief uh, on research. We'll, we'll take a look at this video real quick. Um, and then uh, close out this episode. It's by Joe Bates. He's a comic out of Indianapolis and it's just a different angle on getting fired. This is from uh, fresh squeezed comedy. Check it out. I didn't know what was going to happen. Came out of nowhere. My boss goes, Joe, why don't you come to my office? I'm like, yeah, boss, what do you need? All excited to do stuff for the boss? And he goes, we're laying you off. And I go, drats. And I make a small talk. He goes, so, Joe, what are your future plans? And I go, I I was going to come here tomorrow. He told me to turn in my badge, my work badge. He goes, turn in your badge. A bit of a joke story. Do you also want my gun? I never been escorted, I believe, quicker in my entire life. That's... <laughs> suck. Getting laid off suck. I was real distraught over my buddy. He was like, you know what you should do? Get back at your boss. Have sex with his wife. Hell yeah, yeah. I don't want to fail another performance review, okay? That's... Across the line. Just a different angle on, on getting fired from your job you know, the gun and the badge, like that's a trope that's done in every cop movie. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a cop movie where the protagonist doesn't get suspended or like put on desk duty. You're a loose cannon, gun and badge. (laughs) Gun and badge. And then later they need the gun and they don't have it. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) but I mean, to put that into terms of like, what do you, uh, that's, that's another thing that, like when you get fired, they'll make small talk with you. Yeah. Like the Coke thing when he's like, you want to get that Coke out of the fridge? I'm just like, yeah. why don't you just fire me? Why do you got to yeah. give me diabetes too? Yeah. And <laughs> Steve, same thing. Like when he started stuttering <laughs> or, or whatever, about yeah. letting you go, it's just like, yeah. just, just cut to, just let me go. Just let me go. Yeah. All right. Now I'm not I'm not degenerates like the two of you. I've never gotten fired from a job, although I probably should have. Uh, I worked at a grocery store when I was in high school, and we would do um, some terrible things. 
Like we would, before we put them on the shelves, we would shake the Pringle cans um, because fuck everybody. I don't know. You're in high school. You don't care about other people. We would switch the labels on green beans. Like, so we take the green giant green beans label and put it on some like store brand uh, creamed corn and then put the creamed corn uh, label on the green beans. Like, I mean, we would do stuff that that I should have gotten fired for. I don't know. I was like a schmoozer. I I worked a union job for six years. It was a union job. My first job ever. I worked at UPS for six years from age 18 to 24, almost 25 years old. And I like, I had a, you know, I was covered. I w- could go up to my supervisor and be like, you're a fucking prick, you piece of shit. And I would not get fired. And I've d- I did it many times. I mean, they were pieces of shit too. But you go to, then when you go out into the real, like out into like regular jobs, like or sandwich jobs or anything, I worked a lot of like food industry jobs. And these people were assholes and they love that you are not union because then they can just treat you like shit and then you can't say anything back. And they kind of like that. And so at times, you know, I'd be like, no, fuck you. But um, yeah, it never, it's one of those things where you just train to be like, I have fucking rights, bitch. And then yeah. you go and you don't have rights. And then it's like, oh, well, fuck this whole fucking facade. You're all cunts. And I'm never that, working in this. That's another I will never work retail or food ever again. I don't care how poor I am. It will not do it. <laughs> there are more resourceful ways of making money. Mm-hmm. Um, when, I wor- well, when I worked at the movie theater, like years ago, I worked there for nine years. Everybody got fired one night except me pretty much because I had just started. I've, I've, been, I've been there for like five months. And everybody wanted to stay back and watch The Hills Have Eyes 2 after closing. So whenever that came out, I think 2007. But that movie came out and they were like, you want to watch that after close? And I was like, no, that shit looks like garbage. So I just I like left the theater. But I guess like five people stayed back. And then the owner randomly came in and like caught them watching the movie and eating popcorn and shit. So he fired them. And then one of those people ratted out like four people that were taking money out of the drawer. So then those four people got fired. So within four months of working at the theater, there was like a complete staff change. And then it wasn't until after that, that I met Chris Wineland, who like was, who signed me up for that open mic first. He's a comic and yeah. he signed me up for that open mic. So really, if I'd watched the Hills have eyes too, I probably wouldn't be on this podcast right now. I wouldn't have met you guys. I would have been doing comedy. So it's, it's crazy Jeez. how much of my life is, is like been dictated by the fact that I didn't watch the Hills have eyes too. Yeah. that night so it's crazy I, I think about that sometimes and it's just it blows my mind I, I should have been fired maybe but i wasn't so it's fine it's those little things and i mean our lives could be drastically different just by mm-hmm. like one simple like innocuous choice yep he was too hey uh employers are pussies because this is what, another thing but they can be when they fire people um i worked at, in little italy uh for like three months. That was another job I got fired from, but I did not deserve to get fired. At least not in this fucking weird bullshit excuse they made. I walked in one day and they're changing the locks on the door. Right. And I'm like, why are they changing? Why is there a locksmith here changing the locks on the door? That, and then I walk in and then Eddie, the owner is like, Steve, I gotta let you go, man. And I'm like, why? It's like, because Sam LaTourette came in, I worked with Sam LaTourette. He worked in, he worked as whatever he was. We were both servers there and he 
like he had a key to the to the place so he in the middle of the night when everybody was gone he went and had a party there and they were drinking all the liquor and uh yeah and so the fact that he couldn't prove that i was or wasn't with him when they did that made them like want to fire me too and not have to just worry about it or whatever and 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 it was weird like what, what the fuck dude like why are you all right you could just tell me I suck. That's fine. If that's the real reason. Cause I did suck as a server. I'll never be a server again, but, um, cause it's just hell on my brain. But like, the thing is, it's, it's, it's like, dude, either just tell me I suck. Cause I can fucking take it. Especially if it's true. Come on, man. Yeah. No, no. But then Sam tried to twist it. Like it was this big conspiracy where they just made it look like he threw a party just so they could let me off easier when it was. Oh no. Yeah. They had a real locksmith show up and it was just so that they could fire me. No, Sam, you're a liar and you snort heroin in the basement. So shut the fuck up. Too soon. Getting back to the topic at hand. I mean, I love the way Tim that you just took like something that most people take, take as a negative and just flip it into something positive, something that like, creates joy in other people. Uh, I mean, that's like why we do what we do is we're able to take things like that and, and turn them into something that you can capitalize off of. And you do a great job at that. And any uh, closing remarks as far as if you were to give like a word of wisdom to its comic who had just gotten fired or just gotten broken up with or, you know, something like that uh, as far as, you know, if they want to write a bit around it. Uh, I mean, it's, I think it's something that I think you can obviously like teach yourself how to look at things like that in a funnier light, but it's definitely more of just, I think you have to have a certain personality type because people that aren't as insecure as I am probably would have trouble like translating stuff like that. They might just kind of, you know, it's so I'd say, I guess my advice would be if you're an insecure person, then you can use that as fuel. But if you're not an insecure person, I guess pretend to be. Uh, if you can just take something terrible that happens and, and make it funny, because almost in comedy, it's funnier to be relatable than it is to actually be funny. So mm-hmm. just try to be more relatable. And, uh, you know, if, if, if you make a mistake and you can turn it into something funny, it makes the mistake kind of less of a mistake. I guess focus more on the positives of the mistake than the negatives and, and then see what funniness comes out of that. Also, if you're a comic and you're on stage, Steve, you should do this more. Just record yourself on stage and listen to it more because it actually really helps you to just get in the mindset of like, okay, I'm supposed to be funny in this spot. And then it really, it really like helps you, write shit like that where you're just like I, I need to be funny and I just I don't know how to be but if you listen to it over and over and over again it, it really like helps out also when I smoke weed and listen to it it makes it it almost makes it better because it it doesn't when I smoke weed and listen to my comedy I'm like blown away that I'm even doing it I'm like what the, why am I divulging my insecurities to this like these strangers I feel yeah. kind of like it makes me feel weird but it actually helps because you can get into the perspective of the audience and just be like okay so now the audience thinks I'm weird. So what should I say now that they think that way about me? You're able to think on different levels, I feel like, when you listen to yourself over and over again. So just think about your mistakes in a positive light and then record your thoughts maybe and listen to them over and over again is what my advice would be. 
Yeah. yeah, and you make a good point too. Uh, listening to like, I, do you get on stage? Do you smoke before you get on stage? No, I've never been able to perform high. I just I feel weird doing it. Me too, dude. I, I think way too much about what everybody's thinking about me. I know. I think um, everybody's looking at me when I'm high. I can't. Yeah. Be high I, around a bunch I of learned to. Uh, I learned to make it work. It doesn't work all the time, but it works way more than it used to. Hmm. Is That's there like crazy. a time frame where you'll be like, okay, if I'd smoke x x amount of time before the show? that's better than if I do it right before the show. So oh, yeah, like a- no, you definitely have to be on the downslope. You have to be like plateaued and, and sort of mellowed out. None of the initial, that will screw you up, I think. Yeah. It may still be okay, but more often than not, it will screw you up, I feel like, in my case. Yeah, and then you'll get fired. Right? <laughs> From a comedy um, club. Yeah. I'm not allowed back at MGM. Uh, I'm not allowed at the uh, Northfield Park uh, Casino as a comedian anymore i so i got fired as a comedian once <laughs> why because you were too offensive i got canceled i did a 9-11 joke in front oh, of a bunch shit. of really old people but it yeah. wasn't really it's it framed as a 9-11 joke you're like oh that was out of poor taste but it was a joke that always did well even in like a big contest in lakewood like full of like just like city people but you're out in northfield but the joke was that cleveland uh when lebron left it was cleveland's very own 9-11 and that's what I, that I always say it's not our nine 11 was when LeBron left. And, uh, the joke is like making fun of people for making such a big deal out of LeBron leaving, but they weren't that passionate about nine 11 happening. So clearly there's a good intent of the joke, but the buzzwords were what turned off all the idiots. And so yeah. they weren't into the actual metaphor of the joke. I wasn't like, ha people died in a plane crash. That's not the joke. That's a, so when you say 9-11 joke, people are like, oh, it's a 9-11 joke. No, it's a good metaphor. And if you just listen, it's not offensive at all. Yeah, but people don't listen. No. So you gotta, you really have to spoon feed comedy to people in the right. If you're at a place like that. See, I was only doing comedy for a year and a half. Mm. So like I couldn't, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to read an audience. And I only had these jokes. That was it. Mm. I had to do those jokes. Can't just riff. Do you think your picture's still up at, at Northfield where they're like, <laughs> do not allow this with man. an X through it? Yeah. It, it, the they still Brian Kenny told me they still talk about me to this day. He's mentioned that at six courses. Did he really? That's funny. comedy. Yeah. He was like, Yeah, they still mention you. I'm like, oh, cool. And I got thrown under the bus by Chad Zumach. Of course. Which is funny because now I'm mac- mocking Chad Zumach on Zoom. But anyway, he, like, he, he's, uh, but he, I planned on making that joke earlier and it didn't, it came out organically. I did not plan it. I just was like, I'm going to say that later, but like, I did, but yeah, no, he, uh, he's an asshole for doing that. I think he kind of did it sadistically. Like he's not going to make it. It's like throwing me into the wolves den. And, uh, I'm not allowed back mm. there, even though I was a young comic and didn't know any better and had almost no choice. What am I going to do five minutes before the show started? He's like, Hey, you want to do this? And I'm like, yeah, what am I going to do? Be like, Nope, I don't want this great opportunity. Right. You know, I had to take it and I wasn't prepared, super nervous. I had already smoked weed that day. So I had to go do it. Like what I described earlier, except I could not do it like that. Not at that stage. Nope. 200 mm. people nerve-wracking are you the only comic that's been banned from that place probably badge of honor i, did, I don't ever want to go back why would i want to tell jokes to those people I yeah don't why care. would you i would never i did comedy at a casino once and it was terrible i wouldn't want to do it again 
I would, I would feature there, but I just, that would be way down the road. And that's not something I want to do. Any, I would take the money. I would do it. I would do clean comedy, but like, that's a completely different scenario. So. All right. Well, we've all gotten fired. Uh, <laughs> we all live under threat of getting fired. And if it happens, fuck it. It's yeah. funny. All right. Tim Wolf, you can find him on Facebook. Um, hopefully Twitter soon. You've got a lot of content. Get on there, Tim. Yeah, get on there. I'll get on there eventually. Yeah, you'll you'll have two followers. That's for sure. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Any, anything you want to plug? Any shows coming up or anything like that? No, just stay tuned for Kokomo in uh, 2035 or whenever I'm done writing it. Yeah. <laughs> if you listen to this podcast, you'll be like, I, I remember when. <laughs> It'll Steve. be another 15 years. I'm, I'm on the second act. It'll be another 15 years for get that third act down. Then, then you can just do callbacks the entire third act. Yeah, then I can. Yeah, yeah. It will kill the last Beach Boy. He'll watch it. They're all like dead, right? Brian Wilson. Brian what are Wilson's still around. Yeah, so, he'll live really long, and then he'll see that movie, and then he'll die. Yeah, I just wanted that song to be in a better movie than Cocktail, which is like what it was written for. So I was like, all right, I think <laughs> I think we can make this song better in this movie. But yeah, we'll see. All right. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, yeah thanks dude. for jumping on. Much appreciated uh, because, again, you know, shit happens. And if you get fired, it's not the end of the world because no matter what, you can find a way to laugh at that. If you'd like to weigh in on today's topic, follow us on Twitter at You Can't Laugh Pod or like us on Facebook at You Can't Laugh at That and tell us how you did laugh at today's topic or how you didn't. This is all about the conversation, is what I'm saying. All right. Bye.